you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Ruth. A few weeks ago, we started to go verse by verse through the book of Ruth. And we've been introduced to Naomi, who now wants to be known as Mara. She's saddened for the, all the loss in Moab, but she's made her way back to Bethlehem. And with her, she's brought the, uh, the main character of the book, the namesake of the book, this Moabitess woman by the name of Ruth. And we've been looking at them as they've made their way back to a homecoming, back to Bethlehem. And last week we were introduced to a new character, although I probably made mention of him several times already, a man by the name of Boaz. And he is the hero of our story. He is the kinsman redeemer. If, if anyone reminds us of Jesus, if anyone reminds us of the person, you know, that's what the Old Testament does. It points us to Jesus. It tells us of the coming of Christ, the character of Christ, who he is. And so when we see Boaz, we have to automatically know that we're looking and learning about something about Jesus. And last week, we learned a little bit about his introduction and who he is and how he plays in a role in our lives. And, and so today, I, I want to look at a little different aspect uh, of this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read verses uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, but we're mainly going to be focused in on verse 4 and 5. Now I promise this won't be like Wednesday night where I take two verses at a time. We're going we're gonna to make some more headway next week, alright? But, but I want to I look at just four and five today and I want us to think about the field of Boaz or, or maybe we would talk about his entourage in that field. The, the people that are with Boaz there and I want us to think about the church. The church. Let's go, let's look at our, our text. Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. We'll read down through verse 7. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish uh, uh, damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. I want us to learn some lessons from the field of Boaz. Will you pray with me? Pray for me this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the moment of worship that we've had where we've looked at your mercy and your love and your goodness that you have passed before us in the person of Jesus. And now, as we look at Boaz and look at these reapers and the setting that is before us, before we take off into looking at the interaction between Boaz and Ruth and the subsequent verses I pray that you would teach us something about the church, not this building. A building's not the church, Lord. You, you've taught us many times that the church, and, and you've shown us in your word, that the church are the people, uh, the individuals that make up the body of Christ. And I pray as we look at Boaz and his interaction with these workers in front of this field, God, I pray that you'd show us something of Jesus' relationship to the church, this church. Our church, not only all the churches around us, but, but among us this morning. God, teach us this morning. 
Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Recently, I think about six or eight months ago, I went to a, a conference. It was a, uh, it was a conference about small church ministry and bivocational ministry and uh, re, uh, rebirthing a church. And they had all kinds of helps and free books. I go for the free books. And I, the free books that look good on my shelf that I never read. I got to have them. They just look good on the shelf. But, but I went down there and gained some pretty good insights. But you wouldn't believe all of the different ways that people have come up with to try to help a church grow. A church be the kind of church that the Bible and that God wants us to be. The Bible describes and God wants us to be. I read one plan for growth that was really interesting. I want to share it with you this morning. Listen to this one. In order to grow this church or grow a good church, it said, first of all, plant three rows of squash. Squash gossip, squash criticism, and squash indifference. Plant seven rows of peas. I love this. This is alliteration. I just love it. Look, prayer, promptness, perseverance, politeness, preparedness, purity, and patience. Amen. That's good. Plant seven rows of lettuce. Let us be unselfish and loyal. Let us be faithful to duty. Let us search the scriptures. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Let us be obedient in all things. Let us be truthful. Let us love one another. And no garden would be complete without turnips, right? Turn up for church. Turn up for meetings. Turn up for prayer and Bible study. Turn up with a smile even when things are difficult. Turn up with determination and to do your best in the service of God. I like that plan. That's a good plan right there. Well, in our text, we don't exactly have a garden, but we do have a field, a field of barley. Remember, we learned that it was in the it was in the height of the barley harvest when she, when Naomi and Ruth came back, and and so we have a barley field. You can imagine a wheat field with its grains and ears kind of uh, blowing in the wind. You know, this field of Boaz is very much the backdrop of the beautiful relationship between Boaz and Ruth. Now what I want you to think about this morning is that field being somewhat of the church building. Think of it, the field. The church is not, like I said in my prayer, the church is not a building. Although many identify that's a church. Reality is the people that make up that church, that body of believers, they are the church. This is the church house. As many used to say years ago, a church house. Not necessarily the church. Us as believers, we make up the body of the church. But we can think of this field as, as the church building. And within that field, we have these workers and we have Boaz, which I believe is a good picture of the church. And also, we have Ruth who we might see as that lost person that is, that is making their way into a relationship with Boaz. And so all of this surroundings is the backdrop of the beautiful relationship between Ruth and Boaz. We can think of the church in that same way. And, and the, the church itself, and this is what many people have lost sight of, the church itself, the body of gathered saints, should be the backdrop of our personal experience, our walk with Jesus Christ. 
So many people in our day think that their life and relationship with Jesus is much like the Lone Ranger. They, they're always doing it on their own. They're always by themselves. Or, or like John Walton. You remember the, the old show, The Waltons? That's one of my favorites. Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons when I was a kid. And uh, John Walton, you know, he would be on Sunday. He never went to church. You remember John Walton never would go to church? And, and uh, they'd be, I remember one episode, they were leaving for church, and John Boy looks at Mama and says, Mama, why doesn't Daddy go to church? And, and she looked over at John with the sawdust all over him, and she gets this tear in her eye, you know, as well. He just has a special way uh, with worshiping and, and a special way with communing with God. You know what I got to say to that? <laughs> That's not true. We are commanded by Scripture to gather together, to be together, to worship God. The backdrop of the Christian experience is not to have a John Walton type of existence in Christ, but what, which makes one vulnerable to, to all manner of false teaching and discouragement and difficulty. But the gathering of the people of God, being what we're supposed to be, ought to strengthen us. And it ought to be the backdrop of our Christian experience, our growth in Jesus Christ, being more of what He wants us to be. And so every child of God, I think in this passage of Scripture, there are insights in which we can take and apply to our experience as a church in order to be the type of church that we ought to be but not only that to realize Jesus work within us among us as a body of believers and so I want us to look at this in three aspects number one I want you to see the Lord's activity when God works when Jesus works when the Holy Spirit works he works through the local Church. You won't find para-ministries in the New Testament. You find the local church in which are sending missionaries, in which are doing the work of the gospel evangelization, which are showing love to the community. It is the local church. And so God's activity, I believe, we can draw from this. Now, in this uh, opening phrase in verse number 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, we find Boaz visiting the fields that he owns. Remember, we learned earlier how that, I believe it was explained in verse number 1, how that he was a mighty man. Uh, Boaz was a wealthy man. He was a man of much lands. Uh, and so when he comes out, his wealth is... Is, is quite significant because he has workers that work for him. He has plenty of harvest lands uh, around him. And so Boaz comes and visits those fields. I, I can't think of that Boaz as a person and type of the Lord Jesus coming to visit his fields without thinking of Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 1. Before John goes into those letters to the churches, he describes Jesus' ministry among the churches. How that he walked among the candlesticks of the churches. How that he held the stars, which I believe are the messengers or the angels or could well be the pastors of those churches in his hands. And he, he has his glaring eyes upon the church and he write these letters, these messages to those churches are his evaluation of the churches. So never forget, 
I believe that is going on to this day. Jesus is walking among the churches. Just like Boaz visits the field, so does Jesus actively visit His people. Matter of fact, Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Know for a fact that Jesus' desire is for us to gather together as often as we can. As we see the day approaching. Here we see the Lord's activity. I believe we can see some characteristics of the Lord's activity through the actions of Boaz. Number one, I want you to see first of all, His close attention. His close attention. Boaz, he, he greets His People that are working there in verse number 4 with this greeting, The Lord be with you. And they answer him, The Lord bless thee. There's a, there's a congeniality between the two. There's a kindness between the two uh, that seems to be uh, a place of pleasantness. You ever been in a good working situation? You ever been in a bad working situation? Oh my word. How caustic. How you dread. Come. And You'd have a few things to the boss when he came in in the morning you'd like to say. <laughs> but here it seems to be a pleasant place. A place of kindness. A place of blessing. And, 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 and their gathering together is all about the Lord. The Lord's blessing be upon you. The Lord be with you. He's, he's the center of their engagement. His workers seem to be pleased with His presence. Now, no matter where and when believers assemble, Jesus is there. No matter where... Or when we assemble, Jesus is there. It doesn't matter if we have this nice big fancy building we got here. I love this place. I love the beautiful building, the facilities God's given. But it doesn't matter if we meet here or if we meet at a kitchen table in somebody's home. Or God forbid someday we have to meet in a cave somewhere around in these mountains. It doesn't matter where we gather together. We've got to know that He is there with us. Just like Boaz is with His people here. God through Jesus Christ is with us. God always remember that Jesus is with us. No matter if you get goosebumps or not. No matter if you cry and shed a few tears. Or you get your feelings hurt by the word of God. Doesn't matter. Jesus is here. Now. There are those times. That are punctuated by what I believe is the manifest presence of Jesus. I mean hey. You know we've been here. We've been here for a little while now. And we've gone through some dry times. right? I know it. You don't have to say it. I know it. We've gone through some times where it just seems like God's a million miles away. That, uh, that we're just. We're just kind of going through the motions. I, I get that. Nevertheless, Jesus is here walking among us. Piercing our heart. Talking to us. Uh, doing, doing things among us. But there are those times, you know what I'm talking about. Where He is speaking directly to individuals. Where He is actively engaging the people of His church. That's that manifest presence of the Lord Jesus. That's what we long for. I mean, I, I, know, I know by faith through the Word of God, the truth of God, every time we gather together, Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. But there are those times when He speaks to us, when He manifests His presence. May our heart's desire and preparation before we ever enter those doors 
be the prayer, Jesus, manifest your presence. Give us that sense of your presence, not just by the truth, but by the experience of our hearts. Let us know that you're among us. Let that be our hearts. I know how wonderful it is when Jesus draws near our field, when he speaks to our hearts and manifests his presence. But we see his close attention. He's there. He has his eyes on them. He's interacting with them. But second of all, see his continual administration. Boaz seems to be the operator and the owner of the field. And chances are, though, he's often busy. Matter of fact, these workers were there working long before Boaz ever made his way out to where they were. Verse number 5 indicates, and, and so Boaz, Boaz is coming out there. They've already been working, but look at verse number 5. It says, then Boaz said to the servant, notice this, that was set over the reapers. So evidently there's some kind of foreman. There's some kind of go-to guy that Boaz, as the owner, as the wealthy landlord, as the one that's the overseer, he goes to kind of like a foreman who's been there from the early morning. You know, he talks about how the, uh, this, this man, he, when he responds, yeah, it's this Moabitish woman, and uh, she's been here to, from, uh, verse number 7, from morning until now. So that means this overseer, he's been there every second. Since they got there early in the morning until whenever Boaz showed up and made his presence known there in the field. He's this foreman. He's this overseer. He's someone that to act upon the behalf at the, at the act upon Boaz's behalf in the field. This servant acted out the bidding of Boaz. He did the will of Boaz. He did the desire of Boaz. He does the assignments of Boaz. I'll tell you what. If this ever points to a particular... You notice it's not a name? Didn't give him a name. We don't know who he is. He's just, he's just some unknown person. Some unnamed servant that's out there every moment of that time of labor in that harvest field. I can't see any other person than the, than the Holy Spirit of God. God's... Holy Spirit, I don't have the time to teach you all of pneumatology, but I do know this. You do need to know this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that Holy Spirit has become now, has come now to reside within you, to, to be that paraclete, that one that comes alongside, that strengthener, that one that enables us, that one that's always there, that one that leads and guides and takes the Word of God, applies it to our heart, He conforms, He changes us, He molds us and shapes us. Notice there's no attention given to Himself. He's just performing the work of the Master. Jesus tells us of the activity and character of the Holy Spirit in John 16 before He left His disciples for the cross. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will, shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. And He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit is essential for us in this church. His work 
his liberty. Quench not the Holy Spirit. The admonitions of the epistles. Uh, that he, he can be offended. The Holy Spirit can be offended. He can be squelched or quenched. He needs to have full reign. Full, full liberty. Matter of fact, uh, in the Welsh revival in 1904 when God turned the country of Wales upside down one of the main messages of Evan Roberts who was at the center the young man that was at the center and the focal point of that revival movement was his, his cry every message in every service that the Holy Spirit needs to have full sway already decided he can do whatever he wants to do in your hearts and lives I know some strange things happened in that meeting, but that is a good uh, that is a good lesson for us to learn in this place. When we come in here, Holy Spirit, have your way. Most of us look like we're servants fighting against Him half the time. We don't want to hear from Him. We, we don't like what He has to say to us many times. But the Holy Spirit is the one who has to have full sway, who needs to be in control, moving and working among us. When Arthur writes, the Holy Spirit is the unseen guest in every service. He's the unseen guide in every service. He's the unseen guard of every service. He's the unseen gift of every service. The Holy Spirit is Lord of the church. He's the life of the church. He's the leader of the church. He's the liberty of the church. He's the lover and the light of the church. The Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus has set over the church to capture the attention, to control the activity, to complete the assignment, to conduct the affairs, to certify the accomplishments, to conform the attendance, and to call the additions of the church Jesus said I will build my church and he does so through the working and the power of his Holy Spirit in the lives of individuals not only in this room but outside of this room he's not confined to these four walls many of you oftentimes ask to pray for your family and your burden for grandchildren or, or great grandchildren and this and that and we pray for them they're far from God never lose heart at the fact that he can be in the far country dealing with the prodigal's heart while you sit in the back room with your Bible open learning about First Peter with us on a Wednesday night he can do things that we can't do he can also do the things that are necessity for us in this church that's the Lord's activity Jesus is in close attention. He sees what's going on here. He is attentive and also the Holy Spirit's administration. Working in our midst. The Lord's activity. And also the Lord's assembly. And now we focus over on the reapers. The, the reapers are there with them. We have this overseer. But he was set over the reapers. Our uh, in, in every one of our text verses, we've read about these reapers. They are much like the individual members of the church. Notice that first of all, they were accountable. They were accountable. Now we don't know how many of them they were, where they were from, but we do know they were drawn together by a person to a place. <laughs> Think about it. I don't know. I don't know where all they lived on the in the area of Bethlehem, out on the outskirts, across town, in town. We don't know where they lived, but we do know when it was harvest time, when it was time to go to work, they all gathered together in Boaz's field because of Boaz, because of him. They were all gathered together because of him. 
Hebrews 10.25 tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of sun is but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's the admonition. Come together. Come together. Should we be cautious in times of COVID and all kinds of, of, of diseases? We come in, you know, you know, all of a sudden society and culture wants to be hypersensitive about all these things, when many of which, like influenza and the measles and chickenpox, have been around for ages. Yet all of a sudden we got super high, high, uh, high heightened awareness of gathering together and the potential of sharing. Diseases. Well, I want you to know that's always been the case with the church of the living God. We've come through plagues. We've come through all manner of sickness. And we've still gathered together, assembling ourselves together for the worship of Jesus. They were accountable to be in the field, these reapers were. Accountable both to each other and to their Lord Boaz. They weren't making excuses as to why they couldn't come. They weren't making excuses for why they were in somebody else's field or why they didn't come to the field at all. Speaking of excuses, I read the other day of a church in Michigan that had what was called No Excuse Sunday. Their advertisement in the paper read as follows. Please join us next Sunday for church. We're going to make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday by having No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the vestibule for those who say Sunday is the only day they can rest. Steel helmets will be there for those who say the church will cave in if they ever came in. Blankets will be furnished for those who say the church is too cold. Fans will be given for those who think it's too hot. We will have hearing aids for those who think the pastor preaches too softly. And cotton for those who think he preaches too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list all the hypocrites who are present. Some relatives will be there for those who like to go visiting on Sundays. There will be TV dinners for those who cannot go to church and cook. Sunday dinner too. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to worship God on the outdoors. Finally, the sanctuary will be decorated with, with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who have time, who have never have time to go to church without them. <laughs> Amen. I'll, I'll forward it to you. I'll post it. Uh, she, listen. Ruth said, "Let the uh, she came and hath continued from early in the morning. Ruth was there early. She tarried uh, there in the fields and, and laboring. Listen, they were accountable. I'm not the church police. I, I'm, honestly, I, I, I don't like calling people who have been out a week or two or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, if, 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 if Paul... The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians detailed the makeup of the early church. And what did he say? The early church is a body. The, no, the church itself is a body. The church is a body in so much that some people are hands, some people are eyes, some people are feet, some people are unseen parts, some people are seen parts. But they're all important to the body. For the church to function, it's got to have every part that God has given it. And if you refuse to be a part of that body, then the church limps along. If you're supposed to be here, 
If this is where God has appointed you to be a part of a body, to, to function as the church and be the hands and feet and legs and arms of Jesus in this world, when you disconnect yourself from it, then we limp along as a body of believers. They were accountable. They were appreciative. It seems as though Boaz and the reapers had a good relationship. I mentioned this before, but... When he shows up, Boaz had pleasant greetings to them. The Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Boaz Boaz gives his workers a prayer of blessing and salutation, an expression of kindness and love for his employees. Their response followed, and it was an expression of appreciation of his kindness to them. This is what the assembled body of Christ should sound like. We should sound like that when we interact with each other. I'm reminded of Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. I, I pastored another church for some 10 years. And uh, to be honest, there was a sense many times in, in a pull in which I felt the Lord leading us one direction, a pull towards those kind of customary things of the, of the past. There was a tension there. I love those people, don't get me wrong. I love my time there. God showed me so much and taught me so much. But there has been a sense in this place. And I thank you for that. Our, 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 core, our core that was here from the beginning. I thank you for that, for that sense of, of unity. Of willingness to follow as the Holy Spirit tries to lead me. And I try, I try although poorly, try to lead you. There is a sense in which there is a unity that I, I've, not se- I've not seen in, in many other places at all. Church is a place for God's people to gather together to honor God for His kindness and He has shown upon us. Psalm 101 verse 5. This ought to be our attitude when we come to church. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord He is God. It is He that hath made us and we not ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Oh, that ought to be our heart's desire when we come to this building. Not to get. You're not here to be sprayed with entertainment. You're here to worship God through the songs of your mouth, through the prayers of your utterance, through the listening and comprehending of God's Word. And how often is the church of Jesus Christ known more for its conflict with each other than its care for each other? Known more for its division than its doxology. More for its animosity than it is for its adoration. Jesus made it clear what we are to be known for. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another I have, as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. 
if you have love one for another. But if you ask the average person walking down the sidewalk of the streets of our cities today what the church is best known for, whether it's true or not, it is known more for its fights and its fusses, its deceptions and divisions. More for loathing each other than loving each other. The church is not a place where we come to be counted, but a place where we come to be thankful. A place of gratitude. Glory to God are evident. That's what we see in these workers. There, there is something in the relationship between Boaz and these workers that is that's so pure and refreshing. And what we want in this place. What we want in this, this church. They were accountable. They were appreciative. Last of all, they were active. These were reapers and not sleepers. They were actively participating in labors prescribed by Boaz. The Lord of this field. They were not idle. They were involved in the work. They were active and productive in the harvest. You know, anytime, anytime we ever see harvest fields in the Bible, our minds, our minds need to be reminded of Jesus' teaching about the, the field and the sower. You know, how that the, sow, the seed is sown into the field, some chokes it out, some is, some is profitable, some, 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 uh, uh, some produce more than others. But again, Jesus... Jesus, when he taught that story, and he interpreted his own story, talked about the field being the world. Where do you find this church? Do you find this church in some lofty mountain away from everybody else? No, you find this church active in the world. In the place where that is owned, that is owned by Boaz. There is, they are actively working in that field. And when we see that field, we think of a lost and dying world around us. Our part as a church is not only the adoration of God, but the communication of the gospel. I'm reminded of Psalm 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Are we active though? That's the thing. We don't need to be a selective religious club. We need to be a people that are about declaring the good news. To letting people know in and around our lives, in, in, in your sphere of influence, every one of us have a sphere of influence. People that we're around, we can share the gospel with. That we can be intentional about sharing the gospel with. I think that's what we see in these verses, in these laborers, these harvesters out there. Notice thirdly, lastly, we see the Lord's activity. We see the Lord's assembly. But notice also, I want you to see the Lord's attentiveness. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can see where I can kind of move this story to our present day. I see Boaz coming in. He's got a, he's got a uh, what's that... Uh, of uh, farmer's insurance. What's the farmer's insurance? You know, the guy with the straw in his mouth. He's got his hat on, his farmer's insurance. He pulls up in his Z71. He's got his cup of coffee. He comes over and talks to his foreman. And they begin and break into this conversation. 
And he's standing there sipping his coffee. And all of a sudden, he looks across that field and he goes, Who is that? And that's kind of what the text says. Boaz, he, he, as soon as he gets there and all these greetings, he, go, he, he identifies this new person that's made her way into that field. Now, when we look at this, I want you to see also he is, we see in this, when we look at Boaz and we see his, his, his sighting of Ruth, we see that it is a telling perception. A telling perception. Boaz picked Ruth out of all the crowd. Immediately his eyes were drawn to her individually. You know that, that sense of that individual selection is, is an indication of his, his perception of those in the field. That he sees them individually. And that's what I want to get across here. He sees them individually. He sees our true condition. Now, types and shadows only go so far. You know that. They kind of crumble. If you look too close, you make too, com- too many comparisons, it becomes an allegory. It's not a type and a shadow. And, and Boaz, when he, when he looks over the field, he has no idea who this, who this woman is. He has to be explained to, but... Know this, our heavenly kinsman, he looks at every individual in this room and knows us better than we know ourselves. He sees every heart. He knows every need. He knows who we are. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4.13 makes it clear. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Sometimes that's a fearful thing, and sometimes that's a wonderful thing. He sees us. He knows who we are. He knows our needs. He cares. He has a perception. The Lord sees each and every one of us. He knows our needs, our trials, our sins. He sees our hearts. As we grow as a church, it will be harder to develop an individual attention for every person among us. But know this. No matter how much we grow. If we ever have a sense we lose that intimacy of, of that close fellowship. Know this. That there is a God in heaven that sees every one of us. Every one of us. Who we are. What our need is. Who He wants us to become. He sees us as individuals. As His children. As you parents know your children better than so many other people, God knows His children better than anyone else. His perception is telling. His affection is tender. Verse number 5. Boaz said unto the reapers, that was set, the, to the servant who said over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? J. Vernon McGee, great Bible commentator, he puts it this way. He translates this phrase from Boaz as this. Well, where in the world has she been that I haven't met her before? Who is this? He actually goes on to describe how that the, the Hebrew phrase was like a, like a whistle. Like a, like a wow, wow. 
Look at this individual. I've never seen her before. You see, we could actually say this is love at first sight. This was one of those, hello, who are you? Why, why don't I know you? Kind of moments. Yes, his vision of her was telling. He saw her as an individual. But it was also a time of love. A time of affection. He had a tender love for her. Our Lord Jesus not only knows us, but loves us. Psychologists tell us that, one, that the one great need of every human heart is to feel loved. Many people feel unloved. A wife feels that her husband doesn't love her anymore. Children feel that they are unloved by their parents. Yes, I, I, I can assume you, I can assure you, if that is the case, I can assure you of God's love. One preacher said it this way, many are going around plucking daisies. He loves me, he loves me not. When good things happen, we can say God loves me. When bad things happen, we say he loves me not. But the truth of the matter is that he always loves us. No matter what takes place in our lives, nothing takes place in our hearts and lives without being strained through the grace, the mercy, and the love of God for us. He loves us. There's anything that can, should be sensed as we gather together is that of our Heavenly Father's love for us. A love that will not let us go. A love that will not let us stay the same. That's why oftentimes, a lot of times, that love hurts when we come here on a Sunday morning. But it's always helps. The Father's love always knows what to say to us when we gather together out of love. You know, the truth be known, it's a difficult message to particularly preach in a post-COVID world. I mean, there, there are, I, mean I, I get it. I get it. People with pre-diagnosed uh, pre you know, difficulties, the, the, the things that go in to make them very susceptible to death, I, I get that. I, I understand that. A church should be cognizant of that. I, I realize that. We ought to take precautions and be careful with one another. But at the same time, we cannot afford pre-COVID the church had problems. Pre-COVID, 2019, we had problems with a dissatisfaction in the church, a, a lethargy, an apathy toward the things of God. How much more is it magnified when people don't ever even consider going through them doors again because of a, a disease or, 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 or whatever the case may be? God help us. We desperately need as a people to be together. Cautiously, yes. And I understand there are, there are times when people are sick, ill, that you would be much better off caring for your body at home. I get that. I understand that. But your heart ought to be here. You don't need to be at home. <laughs> I don't have to go to church this morning. I got a sniffle. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to scroll my Facebook. It ought to be that our heart is here. 
We long to be with God's people. We long to see the manifest presence of Jesus. We long to sense the moving and working of the Holy Spirit through the preached word of God, through the worship of God, through praying and seeking God with our brothers and sisters. We ought to desire to be around that encouraging love. And let God forbid we ever become cliquish in here. God forbid we ever ostracize people based upon their economic standpoint and their ethnic color and all these other things that tend to splinter churches. God forbid let us be this place where we have this congenial love hello Jesus and Jesus says hello my children we greet him and we have that sense of love and unity among us just like these servants with with Boaz difficult message but a needed one for our hour I hope you have an ear to hear what the spirit says if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus I want to make sure you know the gospel because because Ruth's in that field and Ruth don't know the Lord Jesus. She's not been redeemed yet. And I know that the, I know the analogy breaks down, but the reality is, is that the picture here of, of the kinsman redeemer. You have a kinsman redeemer. If you're here today and never trusted Jesus Christ, you are lost, you are far from God, you are condemned, cursed of God, just like the Moabites, wicked people, the idolatrous people of the Moabite, you are cursed of God. But because of that curse, God has sent His only begotten Son to come to this earth to die on a cross for your sins. And by faith in Him, you can not only be forgiven of that curse, but you can be brought in to the family of God. You can be redeemed. You can be brought in and a standing as a child, a son, a daughter of God through Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary. If you're here today without Him, come, know Him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection.